Most of us love the idea of traveling, but between the constraints of money, time, and the hustle and bustle of day-to-day -day life, few of us ever get to visit all of the places we'd like to experience. On this show, Phil and Pete have conversations with interesting people who have, and do, live in some of the most remote and exotic locales on the planet. Together, we'll travel the world from the privacy of your earbuds in Vicarious Encounters. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Vicarious Encounters. This is Phil. And this is Pete. And we are so excited to have Paul and Shannon on with us today to talk about their time in Denmark. But before we get there, Pete, why don't you tell us what's going on with you? I became a grandpa. Oh, that's awesome. For the, yeah, for the first time in my life. I have a grandson and uh, we had him over last night, my wife and I, and just holding that child, it gives you a new appreciation for the irrationality of an incredible, overwhelming sense of love. I'm holding this kid. He's never done a thing to earn my affection. And yet I just love him like, cra like a crazy man. What about you, Phil? Can you top that one? Uh, no, mine is actually uh, <laughs> disturbingly negative. I am currently Ooh. in the market for replacing our roof of our house, which is uh, uh, which is a, a a bit of a soul crushing event. But that's what I've been thinking about lately. So I'm hoping wow. that this conversation with uh, Paul and Shannon will get my mind on to bigger and better things. I can imagine. So, well, Paul and Shannon, great to have you. Denmark. Tell us a little bit about uh, Denmark. When were you there? Yeah, well, thanks for having us. Um, we moved uh, almost exactly two years ago, so um, October of 2020, and we were there just shy of two years. So I think it was about 22 months in total. So you spent almost your entire COVID experience overseas. Yeah, it was it was a really good deal. <laughs> it was it, we kind of rode out the worst of it in in Denmark, which was really nice. Now, when you say it makes it nice, what are the reasons for that? Denmark's a lot smaller. So when they said shut down, most people obeyed for the most part, and um, they wrote it out quicker. Um, so they're, mm. they still had a lot of danger involved in it, like the U.S. did. But because there's, it's only five to six million people total, um, the danger was a lot. The danger dissipated a lot quicker because uh, it's easier to get six million people to do what you need them to do in a crisis than a country as big as the U S. So, hmm. uh, and also because it's so small, they had the luxury of not having to have children mask, which I'm not necessarily against, but the hassle of not having to do, or the, the relief of not having to have our kids wear masks every day was fun. They got to kind of have a, a sense of normalcy for a large part of it. Yeah. When we moved, um, we were kind of coming out of being a bit more, um, cautious uh, here in the States because of some family members. But when we moved to Denmark, we just felt a little bit more relief. Yeah. Um, as Shannon said, uh, we have three little girls. And um, the other nice thing about um, writing out COVID there was um, once our girls, the older two got into kindergarten, um, for the most part, they, they stayed open the whole time. And they were, again, because they're a smaller country, um, they were able to manage that pretty well. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's a, in some ways, it actually, um, I think it was good for our family, um, you know, kind of brought us closer together, but um, hmm. we had our own space and then having the, the kindergarten there for the girls really helped. So you came into Denmark. Tell me, like, what did the experience of being in Denmark, what was it like compared to your expectations going in? Yeah, well, I should preface it with um, this wasn't my first time there. Um, hmm. My first time was actually 20 years ago. 
So I went in high school and um, to the this city that we lived in. Um, it's called Altborg. It's the third or fourth largest city, depending on how you cut it. And um, it's about 200,000 people. It's a university town. Um, so because of my previous trip and, you know, 20 years ago and some friendships that we made, um, we kind of, we had my family kind of created this um, connection to the point where a friend of mine married a his wife is, is Danish um, from the same city. Um, and uh, I had some family members go back for weddings and, and things like that. And then the flip side of that was whenever we had uh, Danes coming to visit, they'd always find their way at my family's home. Um, so that this was kind of a, a 20 year thing um, to the point where I think the first time Shannon came for dinner, we, and I have a big, crazy family. Um, so we had 20 plus people over, which is normal. Um, there were some Danes in town and, uh, you know, they happened to be over for dinner. Um, mm. So Shannon, you know, got to, to hear a bit about the greatness of Denmark. Um, I fell in love with it for my first trip. Um, and I, I was told her, I said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll go visit at some point. But never did I think that that we would live there. OK, so maybe tell us some more about uh, what did you love about it? What, what was it about the country, about the place, about the people that you really loved? I think that was actually my first, like, oh, you know, cross-cultural experience. Um, I was, again, I was in high school. Um, and actually, um, I, I fell in love with the language. So I ended up, you know, further on down the road pursuing a degree in linguistics. Uh, but it was because of the Danish language, actually, that, that kind of sparked that interest. So, you know, be careful because I, I can kind of geek out on this. And, you know, I don't know if you want to go down that rabbit hole. But, um, but yeah, I, um, you know, it's a fascinating language. And I also realized that that language is more than just something to communicate through. Denmark's a small country and. Oh, I got to stop. I got to stop you there. Language is more than something to communicate through. I, okay. Dumb this down because I, I, I won't be able to follow you if you, if we, if you geek out too much, but when you say that, what do you mean? Sure. Language isn't just a tool for communication. Um, it's also uh, a part of culture. It's part of identity. And, and so what happened was I, I found the language itself just fascinating. Um, so the sounds and, and things like that. Um, and I had some Danish friends say, hey, you know, you can make these sounds okay. Or it started with just a, an interest in the language. But then as I started to try and use it during my trip there, you know, saying, hey, just thank you. Or, you know, thank you for the ice cream or, or just small phrases. And I, you know, I would just try and test them out. I noticed people appreciated it. As a small country, uh, most Danes speak English to kind of connect them to the, the bigger world. So I, I didn't have to learn Danish in order to communicate, right? It wasn't necessary mm -hmm. as a tool for communication. Um, but it, as I just, you know, kind of played with it and, and tried to test out my language skills, I found that people were really um, appreciative of, of the, you know, sometimes poor efforts. But and so that that kind of showed me, hey, like language is a way that you can really show respect and honor and um, not just as a, as a way to communicate, because, again, you know, a lot of Danes speak English much better um, than, than maybe we do. <laughs> so that, that, that was kind of fascinating. But, um, but yeah, you know, this this thing, this language, you know, language as a, as a part of the culture and their identity, um, as, as I tried to, as I showed an interest in it, it, it really spoke to them, you know, in, in a different way. So you said that the people were appreciative of you uh, trying to learn language and stuff. What uh, what more can you tell us about the culture of the people as a whole? I guess maybe what were your experiences? Uh, so I'm, this is a really important part of uh, of Danish culture. We're gonna we're gonna teach you something here. Okay, so uh, there's a Danish word called huga, 
It's spelled H-Y-G-G-E, sometimes translated as like coziness. And uh, it's it's really, it's it's part of the, the Danish way of thinking and, and seeing the world. I'll, I'll actually, I have the little book of Hugo right here, which is kind of fun. You can't see it on the podcast, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to read what they say. Um, okay. They call it um, the art of creating intimacy, coziness of the soul, the absence of annoyance, or taking pleasure from the presence of soothing things. And so it's kind of this, um, it's not just a, a thing, but it's, it's kind of an atmosphere. It's an experience. It's, it's something you do. You do, Hugo. But the, the reason for it, so um, we had a friend warn us when we, before we moved, like the Danish winter is long and dark. And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I like, I like cold. Well, well, we got this. We get there and realize very quickly, we don't got this. It's long, it's cold, it's dark. And you wake up at six or seven, it's pitch black until nine. Um, the sun finally starts to pop over the cloud or the, the horizon. But then it's only up for a little bit and then it goes back down around four. Um, uh-huh. So they are long and dark. And we really quickly realized that we are, uh, <laughs> we were feeling depressed. And so this idea of Huga became a survival tool. My friend explained to me, this is how they stay sane in those long, cold, dark months is this coziness, this togetherness, this comfort of the soul idea that you are, yes, it's, it's dark outside, but inside you are cozy and with people you love and you are, mm-hmm. you are good. You are okay. I, I have to know, how did this impact your family? Yeah. Coming from Southern California where it's 80 degrees, 90% of the year, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a shock. The house we live into or lived into was three stories up um, and apartment, yeah. an apartment, a small apartment with three little kids uh, it was a learning curve to get them all bundled up in their snow gear, get them in their snow boots, get them um, all often screaming down the stairs and then have one of them say, I have to pee. So that means we have to take <laughs> one of them back up the stairs, usually carrying and screaming still, take their snow clothes off, get them on the toilet. And all of that, like all of the, the joys of parenthood in the context of a small, tiny apartment at three flights of stairs. Um, and I've I mean, they were narrow stairs. We we nearly killed ourselves a few times on them. So there were there were some frustrations, but the frustrations overall were pretty minor. the The darkness was hard, but we got through it. Yeah. So you know, to kind of give you some context, like I said, we lived in a town of 150 to 200,000 people. It's a university town. You have everything you want, but it's small enough where life is a bit slower. Mm. You know, we we lived in a small apartment right downtown. And we were, we had a couple grocery stores in walking distance. And so we, we did a lot of life just on foot, you know, within a, a small radius of, of where we lived. There's a Danish church that we lived just 10 meters from. And that, that kind of became our, our first, uh, it was community for us. So check that box, which is really important. We did the first nine months, I think, just, you know, using public transportation. They ride a lot of bikes. Um, we never managed to do that just because we had the three small kids and it was almost just easier to, you know, to walk and throw them over your shoulder. But they do it. A lot of Danes carry three, four kids in a a cargo bicycle. Usually it's electric, but not always. Um, And they cart them all over town in that. And it's awesome to watch, but me and my Americanness was not up for that in the snow and the rain and the sleet. I was like, I'm I'm good. (laughs) I'll take the bus. (laughs) So when I think of other countries in that part of Europe, when I think of Germany, when I think of France, when I think of 
Belgium, when I think of Austria, there are certain images that come to my mind. When I think of Denmark, I got nothing. So paint a picture for me. Sure. What does this look like and how is this maybe similar to and different from some of these other images? Uh, Denmark is a Scandinavian country, but I would say it's maybe the least like the other countries of Sweden and, and Norway. It's right on top of Germany and it's actually really flat like very, very flat, lots of flat farmland, a couple bigger cities. Copenhagen being the capital is, I think, a million, um, but that the next biggest is maybe half a million. And then we were in about half of that, still being third or fourth biggest biggest city. But you get outside the city, it's a lot of small farm communities. And to your point about um, other Northern European countries, um, yeah, you know, it has the history, it has older buildings. But what, what it isn't, you hear Denmark, maybe you think Scandinavia, you think of like um, like the movie Frozen, right? So you have these big, tall cliffs and then a fjord cutting through it. And Denmark has none of that. <laughs> they have the fjord. Well, yeah. So, and, and that's, uh, that's a good point. So a fjord is, um, it's just a body of water that connects two other body of, uh, bodies of water. So it, it has nothing okay. to do with the, the, the cliffs and things that sometimes we think of. Um, but it, there's a lot of water too. And so um, it's it's a country surrounded almost entirely by water. Yeah, and actually the northern part of the country is, you could technically call it an island. It's completely disconnected from the rest of the continent. That was pretty cool. So we lived right on the fjord pretty much. You, you could walk to the fjord in five minutes. How much of Denmark is countryside? And what does the countryside look like? Ooh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm just going to guess at a random number. Um, I, I would guess... 80, 85% of the country is countryside. So again, you have Copenhagen, um, which is a major metropolitan city, the capital. That would be the most similar to, you know, like LA. Um, 65%. Okay, 65%. So I, I way overshot, but, um, you know, that's still a pretty significant number. So yeah, so outside of Copenhagen, you have a couple bigger cities and then you have these old farm covered barns um, and a lot of, Towns will, will keep them and, and they still use them. There's a lot of agriculture, a lot of uh, pork. Biggest, you know, pork is the, the main meat there. But then you also see uh, dairy cows and just lots of like, it's, I wouldn't even call it rolling because it is a really flat country, but um, just. There's a, li- there's a few hills, but it's minor. It's mm-hmm. like grades of maybe 10 to 20 feet as opposed to hundreds in lots of places. But um yeah, it's beautiful. Like the you see, you get a sense of the seasons in a way that us in Southern California you don't really get. Mm. You you really notice when it's fall, winter, spring, summer. You really notice the difference. Um, the there's uh, canola fields around a lot of the areas in Alborg that we were, and so you drive 15 minutes at the right time of year, and there's just miles of this beautiful, vibrant yellow. The first time we found it, we were not looking for it. And we were just so so taken aback and so shocked that we had to get out and run through the field just because we were so excited about it. You know, we're city folks. (laughs) And so my my oldest daughter was five at the time. She says, it's so fun to do nature. Um, She just like was, we were all just so enamored with this vibrant yellow flower. Yeah, we, we did the first portion of our time without a car. And then once we got a car, that was one of the, the things that we enjoyed doing was we would just get out of town and, and drive and explore the countryside. Yeah, you have you have the, you know, big stretches of, of green fields. And then at certain seasons, you have different colors of, of flowers blooming. And then um, 
the other thing that we just, you know, we, we saw everything through the eyes of young parents, but one of the, the best things that we uh, discovered was the playgrounds there. So it mm. maybe sounds kind of funny, but they had just these really amazing playgrounds kind of out in the forests or everywhere. One thing that Danes are really good at as a culture or as a country is making things beautiful. And there's a specific company called Monstrum that has turned playgrounds into art. And so we kind of became fangirls of this company. We would look up and go on Monstrum tours say, okay, next weekend we're going to this one. Um, and we would make a day of it and go, it's, um, and I mean, you could get to maybe 10 or 15 within an hour's drive of where we live. There are lots of them all over Denmark. There's a couple in America that we now have to come, now that we're back here, we have to we have to hit up too. But they're just these beautifully designed. Um, kind of whimsical, um, brightly colored. Yeah. So like, for example, um, one of our favorite ones was Playground in the Forest. <laughs> and um, it was a, a big, a giant boar um, that was probably 10 feet tall that you could climb into. It was all made out of wood. And then um, the other half of the, the playground was like this castle with slides and, and things like that. And it just... It, it blended perfectly into the, the forest surroundings. That's, that's awesome. So imagine, if you would, that Pete, uh, that Pete and I came to visit. What would you take us to do while we were there? What would we see? What would we eat? What are the kinds of things that you would be excited to show somebody coming to see? Um, so moving to Denmark, was this was my first time being in Europe at all. And still, actually, because it was COVID times, haven't traveled outside of Denmark. Um, we did a we, quick stop in Germany. Yeah, we drove down to Germany one one weekend, but I saw a night market. I think that was it. So, but the one thing that it's very touristy, but I just find it so amazing. So there's, have you heard of Skagen? S-K-A-G-E-N. It's nope. the most northern, no, northernmost tip of Denmark, but basically it's like a narwhal horn or tooth at the top. Um and two seas come together. It's the, the North Sea and the Baltic Sea come together and basically high five at the top of Denmark. And they just <laughs> crash, they crash into each other and you can walk out on the beach to the tip and put your feet in both seas as they lap together. And I just think it's the coolest thing, both geography and like picture wise. It's just stunning to see. Uh, if you go at the, the wrong time of year, you can't see much because it's cloudy. But if you go on a good summer day, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful outside. It's 80 degrees. It's just stunning. Yeah. So it, it all depends on when you go. Um, they're not known for the best weather, but the, the flip side to the, the cold, dark winters is the summers are just amazing. And so you get hours and hours of sunlight. You could be outside till 10 PM. And as long as the weather's you know, warm. It's, it's just, if you feel like you, you earned it, right. We did, we did two winters there. I can't say we, you know, we're old hats or anything like that, but you know, it was enough to, to really, really appreciate the, the warm, long, um, bright Danish summers. And then I would add to that. Maybe people wouldn't think of Denmark for their beaches though. And that that's actually something that's, you know, a big part of Danish culture is having, uh, they call it a, a summer house, but it, they're, they're basically these houses along the coast, and people use them all year because, again, you have the huga and you can go in the winter and, and bundle up and have candles and things like that. But um, in the summertime, uh, the sum these summer houses, the beach houses are just so much fun. And so uh, we were fortunate. You, you can rent them out or you can rent them from folks that rent theirs out. But um, we had some Danish friends and this amazing family that would allow our family of five to go and sit at their summer house on the beach and you have summer houses dotted all along it. And so Mm. you have these kind of like 
rolling sand dunes and then this like tall grass that sprouts up from it and these long flat like the sand stretching out to the water is just you know probably a good quarter mile from from the at low tide at low tide from where the summer houses are and you, you could drive on the beach um that was kind of a fun thing so if we if you came to visit um we would take you to a summer house on the beach and um you're, you're right there in nature um, you walk out on this really fine powdery sand and then you have the, the summer sun and, you know, it's just a really big part of Danish culture and, and something you have to experience. Um, and you, you asked about food cause that's also an important part of this. I guess it kind of also depends on the, the season. Um, but if we're there in the summertime, we would have pork. Um, so lo- they have lots of different sausages and hot dogs that are really yummy. They do something, uh, it's, it's an open face sandwich, but it's not really a sandwich, um, but it's very Danish. If you want to try and pronounce another word, it's smapol, and it, it literally means butter bread. But so they, they have this dark rye bread um, that's it's not like our bread, but it's it's just this really thick, hearty, um, dense bread. And they they cut a slice, slather some butter on it, and then they put different toppings like like shrimp and egg or um, fried fish and mayonnaise. And it's uh, you're supposed to eat it with a fork and a knife. So um, in that way, it's not really a sandwich like we think of. But being you know surrounded by the ocean, there's a lot of good fish and the pork. And then, um, another fun thing that actually our girls really started, uh, became a big fan of was something they called, uh, translates to cold bowl. And it's like this cold buttermilk soup. And then you would put these, um, they're like Nilla wafer cookies in it you crumble it up. And that's like a really big part of the summertime is you have this, you know, nice warm weather with the sun and you have this cold buttermilk soup, um, that for us, we, you know, just really became a part of, a. Uh, you know, our time there. Um, but then you have the winter time and then do you want to talk about some of the foods there? Yeah. So a big thing that they do around the holidays is called fleskestai, which is like flesh steak, I think is what it translates to, but it's basically this big slab of pork. They slice the top, but not all the way through. And it's with got the skin, skin on. on and then they lather it up with salt and oil and herbs. And then they bake it the skin on top gets crispy and crunchy and then the meat underneath gets really well cooked and it's just so good and if yeah that sounds amazing i'm like yeah truly to have someone cook that perfectly on the holidays is just so good and then they eat it with do they do mashed potatoes or do they do Uh, do, brown potatoes they do brown potatoes where it's these little like quarter-sized potatoes tossed in brown sugar and so they're sweet and warm and though I could eat probably way more of those than I should, uh, <laughs> but they're so good. And they, they, they go down easy because they're so small. You just pop one in. Yeah. They're so small. They can't possibly have that many calories. Eat another one. <laughs> no. Oh, and then they eat potato chips with that meal. Funny, funny enough. They always oh, wow. have potato chips available with that meal. So while you were there, were there any things that you ate that you're like, wow, this is kind of weird to eat. I, I can't believe I'm eating this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, I'd been there, so I, I kind of knew some of these things. Um, but I think the two that really come to mind are pickled herring and they would put it on, uh, that dense rye bread with, you know, put a little bit of butter on it and, and eat it that way. And they had, a, they did a version with like curry powder and that was actually really good. Um, so it was pickled herring soaked in vinegar and I don't know how long they do it for, but, um, kind of has that vinegary flavor. And then this one was mixed with like mayonnaise and, and curry powder. And they put it on the, um, the dense bread and the, maybe like a little dill on top of it. And that, that was actually really good. You wouldn't think of it maybe as an, you know, coming from the outside and never seen that, that might be kind of strange. Um, 
and then, and then the other one the other one and this is a really big part of danish culture is uh licorice oh no I oh you got another okay so we'll, we'll we have two more then um okay. i have to talk about licorice and so licorice in denmark is it's black there's no such thing as, as red licorice um that's just this weird american thing that i don't know where that came from but they they do tons like they eat lots of candy and a lot of the candy that they eat is different variations of, of black licorice but the interesting thing is that they do a salted black licorice the the fascinating thing with that is it's not sodium chloride like table salt that we think of it's actually chemically a different type of salt so it's ammonium chloride and Ooh. it has really it's how would you describe it it's, it's almost like a chemically it kind of feels like a punch to the mouth we like black licorice so we enjoyed trying the different ones but if you're already not too fan, too much of a fan of black licorice flavor and that fennel taste this would not be your jam almost it's- like kitchen cleaner you know yeah. <laughs> you like really gets up into your nostrils and like clears you out um, i nice. love i love black licorice i have not eaten kitchen cleaner so i can't speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just how we know yeah <laughs> So funny story there, actually, um, having been there before, I, I knew how much, uh, you know, how big a um, licorice was in, in Danish culture. And so uh, this is like height of COVID and, and we weren't going out much and we were shopping on Amazon, you know, like way more than we should. And um, so this is before we moved um, summer of 2020. I just had this idea like, hmm, I'm going to I'm going to get our girls ready for uh, Danish culture. And so what I did was I got on Amazon. I bought a big ba- bag of black jelly beans because that's you know, one of the few variations of black licorice that we do. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, kids like they're always asking for candy and stuff like that. And so I said, okay, you, you can have candy, but you have to have this black jelly bean. And they're like, no, like what, like, how could you do this to us? But they wanted candy so bad, you know, <laughs> that they finally gave in. And so that, you know, the first go, like they just forced their, their way through it. And gradually, you know, because, you know, every day they're like, Hey, can we have candy? You know, I'm like, you can have, you know, you can have a black jelly bean and they, you know, eventually ended up liking it. And so that was kind of a fun thing. We hit the ground running because our girls were, you know, accustomed to the, uh, and this wasn't the salty stuff that, you know, that's a different level, but, um, they at least could, uh, enjoy the, the black licorice. And so that's kind of a fun thing, but wow. I think you had one other food that she had to talk about. Yeah. So there's another thing that like I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to food. I'm not super picky. Um, I tried, they call it leopostai, which is like liver paste. I'm not sure if that's exactly what it translates to, but it, you look at it, it's like this foil container and it kind of looks like a banana bread. Um, but what they do is they, they heat it up, they put it on a warmer. You can buy it even from gas stations. Like it's that prevalent everywhere. And it's in all the bakeries and you buy it, you, you smear it on usually the rye bread and then you just eat it like that. And the kids grow up eating this from as soon as they can uh, chew solid food. Um, and it's really good for you, really high in iron. Hmm. I cannot get past the aftertaste. I feel like uh, like I tried a couple bites of it on numerous occasions and I just felt like I could taste it for an hour later. I really wanted to like it because I knew it was really good for you, but there was just no way I was going to buy that for my family. I, I, I know that you had said that uh, there's a lot of English speaking in Denmark. To what extent, I guess, did you try to use their language and did that ever get you into any um, interesting circumstances or interesting situations? To your first question, um, we didn't need to learn Danish. We knew we wouldn't be there long-term. It's a hard language. um, And so we didn't like actively study it, even though they offer language classes. But because, you know, it's 
for me, it was, it's an interesting language. And then also because of how much it's connected to identity, we, we did try and learn it kind of passively. And so, you know, I guess if you're living overseas, you don't want to like stick out either. Right. And so <laughs> sometimes you just, you know, you're at the grocery store and you just smile and nod, but that got me in trouble a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we, we learned like basic stuff like that just so we wouldn't stand out, but, but also just to kind of like, as a, like, Hey, Denmark, thanks for letting us live here. You know, we'll, we'll learn some language. So, yeah, I mean, we, we could, um, you know, have like a, a simple conversation. Paul could have a simple conversation. I could understand bits and pieces and then I would nod my head or shake my head. And I guess, you know, it's, it's easier to read it, but, um, and it's, you know, it's related to English. So there's a lot of words that you, that you see like, oh, okay. I, I could see how, you know, in, in old English, that's where it was the same word. Um, like, but then, yeah. Like knife in Danish is knew. So K-N-I-V, you can see how it translates to, or how it became knife in English, but they still pronounce the K-N. So we, we, we always smiled with those. There are a few of them. Yeah. Or, or like the word, um, you know, red is R-O with that slash through it. So they, have, they actually have three extra letters and then a D. So R-O slash D. Uh, and you see that, okay, red, you know, I could, I could get that, but then they, they pronounce it. Well, and so if you want to try go for it, you know, um, yeah, not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. Do, do that again. What was that? Well, okay. Not to be confused with bread, which is, quote. and so Danes are, you know, by the other Scandinavian countries say that Danes sound like they're speaking with a potato in their mouth. Um, <laughs> a brown potato. A brown in, potato. Uh, exactly. Brown um, sugar. Brown sugar mm. potato. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, reading it is one thing and that that's not too bad. You could kind of memorize street signs or like figure out ingredients and things like that. Um, though Shannon did wash our clothes in fabric softener for the first couple months, just because <laughs> we weren't sure which was the fabric softener, which was the, so we weren't really, uh, getting clean. We smelled good though. Oh yeah. The softest clothes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, you know, when you speak it, you try and pronounce it like, you know, it, it, there's a steep learning curve. So you're back now. What do you miss? Uh, funny enough. So this morning, my friend sent me a picture from Denmark and it's becoming fall there. And I was like, oh, the weather, which I don't actually miss it. This is hindsight being nostalgic. I will never miss the long, cold winter snow. I will never miss that. But there is a certain amount of beauty in the fall days of it's crisp, but not cold. And you can wear a coat and be comfortable. Yeah, I, I miss our friends. I miss the people we got to know. And that's kind of a cop out answer. But I don't know how much again, because we lived there during COVID, we didn't get to go do a ton. And we had small children. Mm. But what I do also miss is the girls kindergarten. The, they do kindergarten right there. And um, I'm sure just as it is in America, it varies from place to place, but we, uh, we were just really blessed. Yeah. I think another thing, um, you know, again, we, we kind of saw everything through the lens of uh, young parents, but um, Danes are really good about just being out in whatever the weather is. And so for the kids, you know, the older to it kindergarten, it didn't matter if it was raining or snowing or whatever, they would gear them up and, and they'd be outside like for, you know, long stretches. And, you know, of course, if the kids are cold, they're going to let them come in. But um, that, that was just, Danes are really good about just um, going with the weather because um, mm -hmm. it's not always the best, but they have this cool thing um, for the kids and even like women will wear them, but they call it, a, it's like a flight suit. Um, that's how it translates. And it's like this one piece 
zip up suit and you, you throw it on and you put, you know, your beanie on and your gloves and like, you just go out and whatever the weather is. And so our girls would like come back and their, their flight suits would um, just be like soaking wet and they'd have sand in them, but it's because they're outside playing all day. And, and they were just, you know, they were warm and comfortable, but that, that was a fun thing that it didn't matter what the weather was. Like you just would get out and, and enjoy, you know, being outside. So culturally acceptable outdoor onesies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Shannon got one. Yeah. They're, they're so comfortable. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. while you were there, were there things that you, you actually did miss about being in the U S other than family? Chinese and Mexican food. Okay. <laughs> Southern California is, I think, un, unmatched in the variety of quality food from anywhere you want, whether it's India, Mexico. And different China. regions of India, yeah. Mexico. Or- yeah. Um, and so they had a Mexican food store in Alborg, but it was kind of like Chipotle. It was good, but it wasn't like authentic Mexican. We really, really love authentic Chinese food and or uh, Southern Chinese food. And we, uh, that was just not definitely there. unimpressed. So yeah, there's a facial expression that you can't see on the, you know, uh, here, but to, to the point where, so yeah. we love Denmark. We loved, you know, where we lived, but you know, one of the Chinese, no sushi, sorry. One of the, no, the, yeah, yeah. Sushi. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, you know, one of the sushi joints in town was called Panda sushi. So just think about that for a second. Pandas mm. are from China, yeah. sushi's from Japan, two very oh, yeah. different countries. <laughs> um, you know, and so just, you know, it, we, we love the Danish food and the culture and everything, but you know, as far as like diversity and in, 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 um, in other foods, like we were a bit, you know, left wanting. So, yeah. Was there anything you didn't miss about the United States? Something that while you're away, you're like, you know, I'm kind of glad we're not in the middle of that. Well, I think you've said it exactly. Uh, I, I mean, all of the political energy hit uh, in my lifetime, an all-time high, I feel like, while we were in Denmark. And it was interesting being in Europe <laughs> and watching kind of from afar. Yeah, and just uh, the emotions that come along with both grieving and anger and sadness. And yeah, that that should happen. And all of those things of like, um, watching a country be so divided. Um, it was interesting. So I want to hear about the net impact of this experience of living in Denmark on you. How are you different as a result of these couple of years living overseas? I think it, it helped us to, um, again, we lived right downtown and we could walk to the grocery store, which a lot of places you can't do that in America necessarily. But I think it just helped us to desire a slower life um as much as we can do that in our american context it's you know it's it's um a lot of places you have to have a car and that's there's nothing wrong with that but just yeah trying to slow down trying to appreciate the little things um <laughs> you know it's just because of the apartment we had but we had like a a college fridge for a long time and part of that is just the culture where you would go to the grocery store every day or every other day but in a family that can go through a gallon of milk in two days, that was a struggle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think it just, you know, it taught us to slow down, to get outside as much as we could. And uh, yeah, I think we can learn a lot from the Danes because they gear up and 
you know, I think there's a saying, there's like no bad weather in Denmark when there really is. Um, <laughs> but it, it's more just the mindset of it. Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to be out on our bikes or whatever it is. And we'll, we'll, you know, you wear the proper gear and, and you're good. But, um, whereas here, you know, at least in, in Southern California, it starts sprinkling and, and all the kids run inside. And we're like, whoa, 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 like, it's okay. Like we're going to be okay. Things like that. Yeah. Okay. So if you had two weeks, all expenses paid, to go anywhere in the world that you haven't been to yet, where are you going? That's hard because there's, it's a big world. world. (laughs) I mean, you're, you know, that doing this podcast. (laughs) Yes. I will keep it related to Northern Europe and and all that. Um, I'll say the Greenland, which is actually uh, Danish territory, interestingly enough, but I mean, it just seems like such a different world. Um, you know, the Inuit culture, um, the geography, um, tourism is actually kind of becoming a thing up there. And they're, they're really trying to work with the local communities and making sure it's benefiting them, um, instead of just having huge cruise ships come in. So I wouldn't want to do that, but I guess getting to do something more responsible where, you know, I could go and, and be there and experience this amazing landscape, but also learn from the the culture, I think would be interesting. And I, I think it, you know, it's not, the easiest place to get to. So having the all expenses paid would definitely help to get up to Greenland. Um, I've always had this deep desire to go to Australia and New Zealand. Not sure what I would do there. I just, it just seems so exciting. And I've never really researched it because the opportunity to go has never really come up. So again, I really don't know what about it draws me, but I mean, Great Barrier Reef, of course, but that's, probably very, very touristy. And I think they're trying to limit people over there anyways. But um, yeah, I I would say that area of the world I'm really drawn to. Well, if you want to hear more about uh, Australia, you can listen to episode six of this podcast. We had my good friend, Jen, who spent several years there. Come on and talk to us about it. It's really good. All right. We are going to move on now to our top five. Strap in, because it's time for another Vicarious Encounters Top 5. And this week's Top 5 list is a little bit different in my mind. Like, it was harder for me to wrap my head around than a normal list. But we're doing our Top 5 Smells. So what are those things that uh, get into our nostrils and really uh, make our brains come alive with warm and good thoughts? I guess if that's what that's what at least that's how I thought about it when I was doing it. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, start here with number five. Number five. And my number five is cedar. Most uh, most trees don't have a smell that really really does anything for me one way or the other it's all pretty (laughs) mild but when you smell cedar wood you know exactly what you're smelling and for some reason i always have good memories associated with that smell like there's always something going on in uh, in my life that has me around that cedar wood like i'm out doing something outdoorsy or something like that something uh that is getting me into nature and i think that's probably why pete okay so this is so hard for me because i just love smells of all kinds but i'm gonna go my number five is fresh bread baking in a parisian boulangerie Uh, as i was thinking about smells i just didn't think of things i thought of moments and i remember when ann and i went to paris i remember going into some of these 
French bakeries and just some of the smells just absolutely overwhelming. So that's going to be my five. So my husband makes fun of me for this one all the time. I actually really love the smell of skunk, not like freshly sprayed in your face, making you tear up, but like a couple miles away, it's sprayed and it's wafting in the night air. I love that smell. Skunk at a distance. Yeah. yeah. Not like the marijuana-esque type skunk, but like skunk skunk somewhere has been doing its thing. I just really like that smell. It, it just, it feels like, it feels like home because I smelled it a lot growing up. I'm going to turn the car back around and, and go to the bakeries again. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you, Pete. Um, you know, uh, smells often remind us of memories and, and uh, having just come out of Denmark, I'm going to say Danish bakeries because they have certain memories attached to it. Um, we had one that was just down the street from us and like you would just be walking around downtown and like smell it. Um, a lot of like cinnamon and, and just fresh, you know, yeasty bread smells. And uh, that was a, that's, that's not my number five. Number four. My number four is uh, I, I wrote something more specific here and I'm going to generalize it just a little bit. But first of all, I tried to make this not a food list and I pretty much failed. I got to be honest, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, I wrote steak on the grill. But honestly, the smell of any meat grilling is so good because it and it works in every context. It works if I'm walking around my town in the Midwest smelling people barbecuing. It works if I remember what it was like um, in Greece as we were walking around the shops looking for souvlaki. It works in every context I've ever lived in because there's something about grilling meat, roasting meat over an open fire that is almost universal. And it always makes me hungry and it always smells good. So yeah, that's my number four. Uh, my number four is freshly ground fire roasted coffee. There's this uh, cafe uh, in the Dallas area Actually, they're in Texas called Summer Moon, and they fire roast their coffee. When I grind that first thing in the morning, it is absolutely just the most incredible smell. That's my number four. Uh, mine is wet summer pavement. So, like, there's something about the cement that when it gets hot in, but it's baking hot, that it has this particular smell. And I, I just, I love it. it makes me think of summer. My number four is also cedar. So I thought that was pretty interesting. You said that, Phil. And actually I Googled some lists of like top smells just to get some ideas. And that wasn't on any of them, um, but it really, it's one of the wow. ones that, that's like the first one I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Right. For me, it's like, you know, it has like clean, you know, um, scent to it. Um, but yeah, there's something about cedar that, that I like. Number three. I've noticed uh, Pete that you keep uh, scooping me on these lists, but I put baking bread as my number three and I've never been to Paris. So maybe it's better there. I don't know, but baking bread in every context I've been in has been good. And honestly, right now, my favorite experience with it is when we're just baking bread at home because my wife has gotten very into making uh, homemade bread and she, especially she does one that is uh, rosemary and olive oil and, mm -hmm. Those smells combined just, oh, they're just, they can't be beat. 
you know, you know, they say that the sense of smell is the one that is most closely connected to your to memory. And I think that that's part of the reason why when I was thinking of smells, I think of specific moments. So there was a moment a couple decades ago where I was in San Luis Potosi, Central Mexico, and we went to a vanilla factory. Mm. It's the it's the Vencedora vanilla factory. And like, it's one thing for me to smell vanilla. It's another thing for me to remember that moment, smelling that specific vanilla in that specific place. That was just overpowering and uh, imprinted a memory on my mind. Um, my number three is campfire. I just, it saturates your hair and your clothes, but for whatever reason, I don't mind. I love that smell. In Denmark, their scouts are a very, it's a really common thing for kids to do scouts, but they call it spider is the word for it in Danish. Um, and they would call campfire spider perfume. Um, and I just, I love, I love the smell of campfire. Uh, and mine is related, but uh, burning charcoal. And I don't know if it's because I associate that with the barbecued meat that comes soon after, but um, there's just <laughs> something about the smell of burning charcoal that, that I like. Number two. My number two is uh, once again scooped by Pete, and but it is it is coffee, and it is the preferred way for me to wake up every day. And I am uh, the antithesis of many coffee people who uh, uh, of whom I believe Pete is probably one, because the question if the question is ever coffee, my answer is always yes. I don't really care. It doesn't have to be anything specific or special, but but if you're offering coffee, I want some. Coffee is my number two. My number two is the smell of a pine forest in Angel Fire, New Mexico. Once again, it's connected with a specific memory. My wife and I went there on a retreat last fall. And just taking those hikes together through that that pine-scented woods. And it's 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 not just the pine, it's like all of the other scents along with it. It just it smells like life and just in incredibly invigorating to my soul. My number two is sunscreen. Not all sunscreen, and I don't even know which brand it is, but there's one that I have smelled my whole life on some kids. Uh, when I was she doesn't go around smelling I kids. As a kid, I would smell on other kids. Yeah, I smell my own children all the time. Uh, but there's this one smell that I, if I knew which one it was, I would wear it every day. I just haven't figured or I don't pay that close attention but there's this one smell that's super nostalgic for me and it again it just smells like summer and I would wear that as a perfume uh I'll say coconut going with the food route and you know food uh, taste being connected to smell I don't like the fake coconut so much but coconut's one of my favorite foods and so just the more natural smell of that like coconut oil I, I just love that number one uh for my number one in my mind, it's not food related. When I my wife saw the list, she was like, it's obviously food related. But I chose, I chose a smell of all of the smells I've listed so far. I like them all. I love them all. But this is the one smell that I smell it. And like, I have a physiological desire to smell it more, to breathe in deeper so I can smell it and get it into my body. And that's the smell of vinegar. I don't know why. But I love the slight uh, sourness of it, the slight acidity of it. Um, I like a lot of uh, sour foods. That's probably that's probably part of it. But yeah, vinegar for me is number one. I'm going to say the smell of fall on the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. 
Uh, now I, I grew up in Virginia. So some of this is just, you know, my, my heart is at home, but once again, it's, it's just the combination of all those smells. And I don't know how to describe that smell. It it's there, there are leaves on the ground. There are, there are trees, there is wildlife. There's a Creek that runs through it. And that combination, whatever that smell is, I, I kind of feel like uh, Shannon does with her sunscreen. If I, if I knew how to bottle that, I would, I would buy it and wear it. Uh, because I, I, that's probably my favorite smell in the world. But no distant skunk smell, maybe in that one. Uh, I probably wouldn't go with the distant skunk smell. Um, yeah, leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> I would say my top scent, and actually now I'm kind of wavering. Maybe I do like sunscreen more than this, but it's in the top five. So whatever um, is star jasmine. Uh, star jasmine plant in a yard, not like a fake bottled kind that's gross, but a star jasmine plant in a yard. I could sit there and smell that for a long time. She actually does sometimes. <laughs> I, <can't laughs> <catch> <laughs> um, I well, Phil, I thought it was interesting. You said vinegar because I almost put balsamic vinegar on my list because, yeah, there's something about that sour, sweet. I don't know, but it didn't make it on my list. Um, there's just too many good ones. I said campfire. So it's been said, um, but I'll, I'll try and connect it to a memory and a Danish memory for you just to make it that much more vibrant. Um, so Shannon said, you know, scouts are called spider. That's just the Danish word for scouts and, um, campfire, you know, lingering smell is the spider scout perfume, but we, we did that a lot in Denmark. Cause that's kind of another part of the culture is just getting out and, and building a campfire. And then they do this cool thing where they, they take a stick, just you know, from the ground. And then they have this like sticky bread dough that they make, and then they wrap it around the stick. Um, and then they bake that in the campfire. And so you kind of get the campfire, you get the fresh bread smell. And and it reminds me of our time in Denmark and, and doing that with our girls. So that's, uh, that's what I'm going to end with. Nice. So on a side note, Pete, you were talking about uh, the vanilla factory that in Mexico, and it made me think of, have you ever driven through Cedar Rapids, Iowa? I have not. Okay, I've Cedar been to Rap- Iowa, but not that part. Cedar Rapids, Iowa is the uh, home of Quaker Oats. And literally, when you wow. hit the city limits, the entire city smells like oats. It's a very <laughs> wow. interesting experience. It's a pleasant enough smell, but yeah, the whole city just smells like oats. So, anyway, I just thought of that whenever you were list making your yeah, list. That's good. Yeah, and and Shannon, just a a, a tip about the top five. Uh, you're not obligated to agree with yourself when the episode releases. So I, I've noticed this several times. We've done a top five. And by the time the episode comes out, I'm like, I don't know that I necessarily would do the same one today. You know, yeah, part of, part <laughs> of the purpose is all in the top five. I just don't know what order they would be. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> Are you ready? It's time for another unpopular opinion. Today, my unpopular opinion is gas in america is cheap now i realize that there are going to be people who are going to think that that's uh that that they're going to think i'm crazy but there's a few reasons i say this and one is if you've traveled internationally at all uh gas is relatively speaking much cheaper than it is elsewhere in the world also if you adjust for inflation uh the price of almost everything else in america has gone up faster than the price of gas And if you take a look at where we rank in the world in gas prices, it is true that we do not have the cheapest gas in the world. But when you combine the price of gas with our average income, the affordability of our gas, we're actually in the top five countries in the world in terms of 
what gas costs us relative to our income. Uh, so while I, like everybody else, would love for gas prices to go down, I maintain that gas is cheap in America. I think that I see what you're saying, but uh, when we are talking about things like this, we in our country living here only have our own experiences that we can compare to on an emotional level. And, and uh, the idea of cheapness or expensive is primarily emotional in my mind. And so I remember being in college and paying, you know, less than a dollar for, for that entire time. And so, and yes, I graduated from college 20 years ago, but that's not the point. Um, <laughs> or 22 years ago now, but that's, that's not your point. That's not my point. It is a point, but it's not my point. My point is that I have seen it, you know, we have seen it creep up and then seen it fall down. And we've seen these ebbs and these flows in our time since then. And right now it is not cheap compared to what I know that it could be um, hopefully in the future. So that's where I'm at. It's all emotional for me. Well, I'll, I'll jump in here too. Cause actually when I heard that there would be an un unpopular opinion, I actually almost said, I don't mind paying the gas price. Um, and I didn't have the facts or the data to back it up like you did, Pete. But um, my reasoning is it jumped up so high this time because we're no longer buying, buying it from Russia. Um, and my response in my brain, I don't always say it out loud, but to people who complain about gas prices is, one, well, how do you think people in Ukraine feel about gas prices? They're not, they, they probably don't really care about it right now because they're worried about keeping their family alive. And so my, my response to that is, high gas is a really small price to pay for knowing that my kids are not in danger in the same way that kids in Ukraine are. And like, I feel like their plight is worlds ahead of just saying, oh, gas is so expensive. And so the, it just, it almost feels insulting to complain about how high gas is when we don't have to worry about what they're daily worrying about. Um, and so I don't mind paying to get high gas prices. Yeah, it's higher than it's ever been in my lifetime, but um, there are so many things that could make life so much harder that I, I'm not, I don't mind paying the, ga the gas prices. You can tell we've talked about this already, even before we <laughs> saw the prompt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, very, very much colored by our, our time living in Denmark. Um, yeah, I think it's good points all around. Um, I think the hard thing is, as Americans, we are just very much a car culture. And so um, a lot of places we're just reliant on our cars. And um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, so it, it does hurt more. I, I hear you. But I, yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, Pete and, and Shannon and just say, um, again, coming off our, our time in, in Europe and being able to not have a car um, just really made us appreciative of having wheels. Um and, uh, and, and just one, you know, we didn't have two, um, and we had four wheels, but one. Car. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were not driving a unicycle. Good to know. We fit all five of us on a unicycle. It was pretty <laughs> um, yeah. One car. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, just appreciating, um, the, the mobility that we have and, and, uh, and to Pete's, Pete's point, when we arrived in Denmark, um, before, gas prices started skyrocketing um gas was already six dollars a gallon like if you did the conversion rate it was six dollars a gallon 
like baseline when we so so, so what is it now or or what was it when you left um it was probably close to 750 when we left mm-hmm. i think yeah, maybe um the amount i don't know how much you guys are driving now i guess maybe that's but maybe that can speak to some of it i know that for me commuting to and from work i'm driving 100 miles a day so wow. um i'm spending a lot on gas and also, it just made me think of it because hearing you, Paul, uh, talk about being in uh, being and not having a vehicle, that is my dream. We lived in Europe for a month this summer, and not having to drive a vehicle for an entire month was like the greatest thing ever. And so my goal is to pay for no gas at all and just pay <laughs> the public transportation to buy their own gas. That's my, that's my goal. <laughs> yeah. And to your point, we don't have to drive a whole lot. Uh, in this season in America uh, for our family. So, you know, it's, it's relative, but. All right. Well, Paul and Shannon, it has been super fantastic to have you guys on the show today, especially since you agreed with my unpopular opinion. And uh, (laughs) thanks so much for sharing with us about Denmark. I, uh, this kind of was a part of the world. I just knew very little about, and now I feel like I know a lot more about it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It was fun. All right. And if you guys uh, want to be part of the conversation, you can go to the Vicarious Encounters Facebook page and comment about what you think about what we've been doing. If you have any interest in uh, giving us ideas for top fives or unpopular opinions, you can do it there or you can email us at vicariousencounters at gmail.com. If you go to anchormerchandising.com, and we'll put a link up on the Facebook page, you can get swag. I just got my own Vicarious Encounters 20-ounce travel coffee mug because of my love of coffee, and (laughs) it looks fantastic. I would show it to you, but you can't see it because this is an audio-only endeavor. Um, But you also can visit us on Twitter, and you can visit us on um, Instagram, though I uh, can admit to dropping the ball on that and don't post there so often as I should, but, uh, but we also have that link. Uh, anything else, Pete? Well, if there's anybody out there that just absolutely loves our show and wants it to continue and wants it to get better, we do have a Patreon page, and we are looking for anybody who would love to partner with us uh, in this journey as well. Thanks so much for listening. It's great to have you as as listeners. You guys make this show great, and we are thrilled to have you along on the journey with us. All right, and we'll see you next time.